Hey everyone, it's Raghu back with Mind Rolling and with the originator alongside of myself of Mind Rolling, David Silver. Thanks, David. Me. It's you. And David came up with a phenomenal idea. We have a whole new series in mind. Uh, but before I get into that... <laughs> no, I didn't. You did. <laughs> what? It's your series? idea. No. I agree with the idea. I do. I do. But you know. Okay. I thought it was your idea. It was your idea. I'm talking about Trump or Rinpoche, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That That's was your my idea. idea. Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. The rest yeah. of it uh, is spurious, and that'll be my idea, but I'll tell all about that in a second. We can we can live with that, that yeah, idea. Yeah, right. Um, but anyhow, this is just before. This is a little ad, Dave. Right? We we got it. I don't know if you know about this. So there's a new Ramdas book that's coming out in a few weeks, like around when this podcast comes out. So everybody, you can take a look for it. It's called Words of Wisdom from Ramdas, and it's a book that was our friend Rachel here, who has been with the foundation for ten years. Rachel Fisher. Many of you may know her if you're on the ramdas.org mailing list, which you should be because we always offer all sorts of great things. That's in my hat as the director of that foundation. And uh, so uh, the Words of Wisdom book is sectioned off by theme, so you can actually just have it hanging out or in the morning just go somewhere, okay, I got to think about how to deal with... um, yeah, suffering or how to be a little bit more mindful today. So Ramdas has, you know, across the board, so many great, and these are beyond just a couple of line quotes. They're like getting into paragraphs, so they're substantial. So it's a really, really uh, amazing, amazing book that I'm glad we're putting out in the 50th anniversary of Be Here Now and Ramdas's second anniversary after he left. So I want everybody to know that. Also, Dave, we're starting a new podcast uh, a psychedelic podcast, which will be a first, with uh, Madison Margolin. I'm not sure if you met her at one time, and she is the uh, co-publisher and founder of this uh, new, uh, well, it's a couple of years, two, three years old psychedelic magazine, um, whose name escapes me in this moment. I'm so sorry, Madison. But go to Madison Margolin, uh, and uh, she'll be on the Be Here Now network go to be here now network.com and go to ramdas.org you can pre-order that book and get a bunch of copies to give away this christmas hanukkah that's it dave no you do that very well good commercial um, yeah I'm, well you know somebody has to pay for this <laughs> yeah, stuff <right>. and <laughs> uh, you're quite benign yeah. in the way you present it at least you're not you know screaming yeah right it, well like crazy know. eddie <laughs> selling stereos no, I was thinking of Joan Namath, who does some kind of Medicare thing on TV these days. And it's so weird for me to see Joan Namath, you know, sort of flogging a... a, a it's a good thing. It's a, a, a Medicare thing you should know about if you're on Medicare. And he, you know, he, he, he does it. Mm. When I came to America, he was the guy that... Won the that Super Bowl. Won the Super Bowl and, and, and called it. Now, I didn't know anything about NFL, nothing, zero. So when this guy, who was in New York, called it and said we're going to win this the jets which now is inconceivable (laughs) i thought that's what they do they call it and then they win it you know because he won it but never happened again uh just shows you the power of positive thinking yeah which brings us to our subject no actually it brings us to (laughs) (laughs) it brings me to think Uh, think about aaron Rodgers 
because oh. of what just happened. But oh. the complexity of it for us is he is a big Ramdas fan. He put Ramdas's book in his monthly book club, uh, Be Here Now, and he got on the air on some radio show and was, you know, they were trying to make fun of him. Ramdas, what's that? You know, a conservative thing. And uh, he said this has really positively affected him in, in his life. And he was, uh, so we were like, wow, isn't that so great? We love you know, Aaron Rodgers is a football player. He's incredible. Then, of course, the COVID tribal beat mm. <laughs> came into this, right? Mm. And, and his kind of, uh, shall we say, maybe not so factual rendition, I and mean, he would say it was, that he was uh, immunized. He didn't say vaccinated. He said immunized and, and, uh, and then said some other things, the NFLs. So he was me too, or it's not me, cancel cultured immediately. His sponsors, an hour, yeah. an hour yeah. gone. Yeah. They took, you know, one was a health thing and one was an insurance thing or something. Yeah. Gone. Yeah. Can you imagine? I mean, without, I mean, that is like, whoa. This well, this this is quite a society we're living in, related yeah. to uh, media and uh, information, disinformation, all of it, cancel culture, me too, all of it. It's really pretty amazing. Yes, yes, it is. And and if you're listening to this in the near future or even in the distant future, I hope the uh, prevailing atmosphere amongst the community of citizens is is far less abrasive and actually you know, downright dark. And uh, we were living through that now for a while. Yeah. And, but, you know, um, I sort of believe that mankind and, and um, decency prevails eventually, but it sometimes goes through these horrendous byroads of, of, of sort of, I don't know, hatred and, and the stuff that we Tribalism. all know. Yeah. Tribalism, we Gets all know increased. it doesn't work. It's, it, it just doesn't work. Particularly if you've been in any kind of interdependence mindset, as we all pretty much have our whole lives. Those, those of us that are old enough to remember the 60s and how the psychedelic movement then fused into the deep involvement with Eastern, Eastern philosophy, mysticism, practice, and so on, and devotional yoga. And we just, I mean, the idea of, the, of, of this development happening of tribalism and complete separation for no good reason of human beings, and then the, the um, sort of manipulation of that propaganda-wise, propaganda and then it kind of curling in on itself and getting bigger and bigger because the propaganda is believed. Yeah, and well... If people be you know, and I, there is a connection with the, the, the book we're going to talk about, Rago and I. Yeah, total about. connection. Of yeah, course. there is yeah. a real connection Absolutely. in terms of, um, well, yes. Yeah, which, you know, um, we can get to. I mean, if you want to, or we can talk about something different for a while or whatever you want to do. We haven't done this no. for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get to the important stuff, like now. Sure. Um, sure. Well, I mean, the truth is, of course, with this increase in tribalism and this just phenomenal stress that we are all under in one way or the other on a day-to-day -day basis with what is going on in the world, in the country, with the pandemic, with racial justice, all of it. And so it's manifest, here's the good news, so to speak. It's manifesting where we can see what 
the Buddhist calls call the uh, 16 billion imp impediments to our becoming whole, where we are kinder, where we're hopefully aspiring to be bodhisattvas, those who uh, whose wish for becoming free is based on the wish to help, continue to help as many people as possible. So uh, this manifestation of all of these, what they're called as kalashas, impurities, uh, from anger, greed, all of it, attachment, uh, is come so visibly in front of us now uh, nobody can deny it. I mean, and everybody you see, even on whatever news from both sides, is noticing, of course, the the vigor from which the, each of the tribal div divisive uh, groups are getting involved. I mean, there's a lot of anger, a lot of anger, and uh, even something as you would think it wasn't going to be that much of a deal the whole thing around vaxxed and unvaxxed is a tribal completely a tribal thing and it's all the way to i just got off a, a call with uh, one of the uh, people i work with and was talking about the the oh boy the depth of anger that is going on in her family about vaccination even even to the point of getting boosters and the misinformation that of course and I'm in and you are in the vaxxed camp and the disinformation that we believe is disinformation is is rampant and of course from the other point of view so do they we are challenged we are not seeing the truth and i this is with people who are not necessarily uh, conservative or anything like that they're in every other way they're in the same um pocket of liberal thought shall we say and just put it into that big big but on this it got tribal it's really amazing Totally amazing to me. So then in the midst of it all, David called me and said, you know, I just ordered this new book from Trumpa, Chogyam Trumpa Rinpoche. We have talked a lot about it from the earliest podcast that I did with David, and we refer to him many as a time, and so do I, uh, on my own. And uh, a great, great teacher from the late 60s, early 70s, and he died around 80, 81, 2, 3, something like that. And, uh, and controversial, controversial figure as well in, in this world. Yeah. Extremely. And, and, uh, I, and we should have yeah. a, codice, a little codicil here. We're mm -hmm. not going to be talking about uh, Trungpa's life. There's a lot of controversy about that, and some of it is proven, others aren't. We, we've talked in the past, Raul, about his teachings, and he was the 11th in a line of a great Tolku lineage mm. and went to yeah. Oxford. Now, that was our fortune because not being, uh, I'm trying not to be pro-English because I'm English, but the fact is if you go to Oxford mm. and you're from Tibet, um, you probably learn the language better than any English person. And when you hear Trungpa's speech, and I just listened to a uh 
a speech he did about goodness, basic human goodness. His English was just so impeccable and easy to understand. One has to remember that that was not his original language. But because he, he, he journeyed to America via Oxford University, he learned how to translate very complex and profound concepts into perfect English, and we're very lucky to have that. Yeah, so, not only not only in uh, perfect English, but also the reality of which I don't think I've heard any other teacher's ability to translate these um, arcane concepts sometimes in a way that was so profoundly understandable. Just amazing. Just amazing. So David said, well, there's a new book, Cynicism and Magic, it's called. And its uh, subtitle is Intelligence and Intuition on the Buddhist Path. And so I said, well, let's, uh, I'm going to read it. Let's do that. And then let's talk about it. And, um, and oh, by the way, the, the, I said it early on, I want to, we, we're going to do a series here. There's going to be a podcast series <laughs> called Ask the Experts, David Silver and Raghu Marcus. We are the experts. We did a whole show on Jung. Now we're doing something on Trumpa. I think we've done others. And, and uh, the only uh, asterisk under which we would have to put this, uh, this series is actually we know nothing whatsoever. We're just trying to grab at a few things that might help us and we could share them. Okay. Zero, zero, as they say in, in, in La France. <laughs> but, you know, I, yeah, we just ask us, and we'll, you know, if you want to know about the Mahabharata, we'll tell you. If you want to know about which was the absolute best Citroën to buy, the DS19 <laughs> or the ID19, we know. We know this stuff. I so, didn't know you knew about Citroëns. I had a terrible accident in a Citroën just after I came back from India. I don't really know. Yeah, I rolled over in a Citroën, and because it was a Citroën, uh, my whole family didn't die, my brother and our that's, wives. That, but that's the great... See, we're already showing this. We both know about Citroëns. Which see, you that's go, right. go on the street and ask people about Citroëns. Yeah, nobody ever heard about... what that is. It's a car yeah. from France, by the way. That was no. one of the first front-wheel drive cars. Yes. Yeah. And it, and it was actually a beautiful car, futuristic. My brother had a maroon one, and we used to drive around town in it and hope that we'd become popular because of it, but it didn't seem to help that much. Okay, so... Can I kick uh, this off? Yes, this, please this, do. Because, yeah. and this is, you know, something from him that, again, trying to get this into a context that can serve us and help us without going into and moving to Boulder to Naropa. Well, people go to school at Naropa in Boulder, which Trumpa Rinpoche started. It's a pretty amazing place. And But without having to uh, make a giant Buddhist commitment here, so our idea is like, how do we translate this just for kind of every, all of us? And so here's, here's a premise uh, that I think everybody can recognize, okay? Um, and I'll just read from, from the book. And it basically, he's talking about how we have become victims of ourselves, and we've known this for a long time. Who cannot relate with that reality? We have become victims of ourselves because basically our selfish motivations, 
our involvement in the uh, what they call the kalashas, those things which prevent us from uh, becoming free, such as anger. He said, I don't feel that I have to convince you, convince you that spirituality is the highest and the best idea that humankind, humankind has ever come up with. I trust that you have understood this, and because of that, you want to have an experience of spirituality. We all want to have an experience that is out of this little me-me that we talk about all the time and into a broader, more interconnected experience. I think we all want that, uh, which is he calls the experience of spirituality. It is the case. It is so that spirituality heightens one experience, wisdom, openness, skillfulness, and an infinite number of things. But now that we have agreed that spirituality is the highest thing, we have one big problem, a gigantic problem, an enormous problem. How are we actually going to work with such a situation? How are we going to handle this greatest gift? So that is a premise for, uh, I don't think it limits anybody in that particular premise and, and how we interpret spirituality. Maybe you should talk, David, about how that would be interpreted well, for you. That is a seminal statement in the book because he's basically saying, you know, how do we do this? Yeah. And when he wrote about spiritual materialism in the 70s, he was basically saying, Two things. One is that you can't collect spiritual knowledge. You know, you're not going to get more spiritual by having more books or going to more lectures. Going to more. Yes, you can certainly help yourself by practice. But once the focus is satisfactory to you, he was sort of suggesting at the time, well, you know, stay with that because it's working. But he also was saying spiritual materialism is the idea that you can avoid the basic source of Buddhist thought, which is egolessness. You can avoid egolessness by adopting some proud spiritual path, which satisfies your ego. Yeah. Now, he never says you can get rid of your ego. Or it's, you, know, you can't. There's no driverless cars here in this particular vehicle that we have. We are, we are driving it. And that's the ego, and it's his job, and it does its job relatively well. But he's saying the ego cannot be the, uh, shall we say, the recipient of honors in the spiritual quest, because the whole point of his spiritual quest as a, a Tibetan Buddhist master is, is to rid ourselves of neurosis. He makes this point 50 times in the book. Mm. He keeps saying the natural neuroses, the hidden neuroses, the dualism that comes at birth, all of this stuff is the aim of the practice. It is not to make you, to enable you to yeah, be a exactly. better a more spiritual CEO. No matter what, I'm not saying CEO shouldn't do so, but let's not do this because we should be past this because that's part of the problem Raga was dis discussing, we were talking about before. Ego, directing opinion, directing practice, di directing action with guns. And so that's obviously not the way to go. But I do believe that his cynicism uh, is not the cynicism that we see on you know, on the news or in, 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 in sort of dark humor. It's the cynicism of, belief, of, of having to cut through the pretentiousness that the ego still presents us 
when we think we've left it behind because it's still in control because you're still enjoying the idea of being spiritual. Yeah. Yeah. And that cynicism is necessary to all of our practice. It's like right say, cynicism. Right. Cynicism, yes. Like right yeah. wisdom, right cynicism. Yeah, it's really... He, 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 you know, he doesn't say ever, don't do it, don't practice. He just says, don't expect, you know, unicorns, folks. Don't expect to be in the bliss meadow all the time. Because that's not reality, and it's not the reality you're living. Because if you think your reality is great, you're not thinking about your inner reality and the mechanisms and shapes of mm -hmm. your neuroses and how to how you have to deal with those neuroses. So you certainly can't be a teacher or even a practitioner. Teacher. So he's pretty harsh about Who that. Who cares about that? Teacher or practitioner even? How about you can't be kind to the human you, being no, next you door can't to be, you? Right, you can't. You can't at all have the kind of openness that it takes to allow for yourself to change and, and other people to. So, right. so he says here, before we do anything, we need to ask who we are. So it's the basic premise is, okay, we're locked into tremendous selfishness. We are locked into tremendous, tremendous reactivity. And as such, we get unhappy. And once we get unhappy, we look out for how we can transform that unhappiness. It also may be not just that we're unhappy in that way. It may be that we were suddenly blown into another dimension through a piece of music, through a psychedelic, through a book, through a teacher, through anything. And, and then you have the realization it is possible. That, and that's the nature of spirituality, that the infinite possibilities of becoming free of that very limit, limiting ego is a wonderful thought. So that's spirituality. But how do we do it? So we have to look inside to find out, well, who are we? And that's what he's talking about. Who's going to get it? What is going to get it? What is you? What is me? That is the greatest and most important question Buddha asked. The Buddha introduced this problem into human thinking to rediscover or find out whether there is anything to discover at all. Who are you? Who am I? What am I? Usually you feel that there is a quote-unquote me, quote-unquote I am going to benefit by it, right? That's the immediate. We think that I, quote-unquote, can become a great powerful person. That has become a problem. The question we have to ask at this point is supposing so-called you becomes enlightened, then what? Of course, automatically, the answer is that you will become a Buddha, an enlightened one. You think, I will preach the law. I will proclaim my wisdom to the people. <laughs> or just walk around thinking you know everything. You know, that's something too. And Trumpa goes, there is enormous snobbishness involved with that approach, to put it lightly, and deception. You might find such snobbishness very light and harmless, but actually it is extraordinarily deadly and powerful. You are about to become an egomaniac. You are becoming an egomaniac. You think that you could become the Buddha himself and preach the law and gather all kinds of disciples and glow your halo all over the place. 
brilliant. I mean, and, and uh, this yeah. was, you know, he did, he gave this lecture in 70, when, 73, something like that? It's it Naropa, really it's 74, 74, when he actually gave this talk. When Ramdas came, they actually thanked, you know, Ramdas Ram for being part of it, which was the start of Naropa in the summer of 1974. And uh, Ramdas did the uh, course on the Bhagavad Gita for 17 days or something. It was quite an intense thing. We have actually at the foundation, we actually have the videos of this. We're we're going to. I'm glad you brought it up because I got another commercial. We're going to run a course, an online course, February 2022, and it will introduce uh, not the whole thing because it's too long, but uh, a, a beautiful uh, honing in of his rendition of the usefulness of what the Bhagavad Gita what the Bhagavad Gita can teach us so that's a whole other thing um, so well you know he did give lectures about goodness and the basic goodness and how wonderful that is and uh, that that's the miracle you know uh, and the magic in this book is not that different that he's basically saying be cynical about easy answers because no one's ever been able to have easy answers. That's why there are 84,000 sutras and 32 diamond sutras. And, you know, in that world, a great deal of practice went on in every, in every lineage. And so he's saying practice is the answer. Meditation is the answer, actually. Because, yeah. you know, in, inside meditation, you know, ultimately was the, he was the ur progenitor of that, of that, of that, you know, which we all love with Sharon and Joseph Goldstein and, and, and all those people, incredible American people, who've done wonders with something that was established by him and Naropa and other people. So what is it about? Is it just about being cynical about easy answers, Americanized, you know, sort of quick ice cream makers? No, but it's, it's also about continuity and discontinuity. Now, I wanted to quote something here. Mm. Um, he says, stuff is going on even about being bored. He doesn't actually say that. I, I interpreted that because he says, well, when you meditate, you get bored. And then you think, well, there's nothing happening. Well, there's no God. There's no nothing. There's no other. There's no, it's just me thinking. And I'm bored. And he said, wait a minute. What about the activity of being bored? What about, what is the essence of that? That is energy. That is, that is life. So that every discontinuous thought that you have is still life, even if it is that of doubt, fear, animosity, tribalism, it's still, he gives it energy and he says, there is some kind of continuity, which is the discontinuity that pervades the whole thing. Therefore, there is a working basis, meaning that within this discontinuity, there are possibilities of evolving spiritually, cultivating discipline and liberating yourself from the bondage of samsara. In other words, he defines, not just him, Buddhism defines samsara not just as being, oh, well, you know, I, I like to have my tier four, and I like to watch Oprah, and I like to drive a, a, a vintage Jaguar. Yeah, that's samsara, but he's talking about the samsara inherent in spiritual delusion, meaning that it's very dangerous. He says it, Raghu, you said it before. It's dangerous to quickly preach stuff about sudden awarenesses, sudden nirvanas, suddenly, because it always fails you, and then you think there's nothing, and you're fucked. So he's saying all the time, we are a, a practice, we are a teaching of practice. And, you know, I didn't really understand any of that when I was a younger person until I started hanging out with musicians. 
No. I'm realizing that when they went on stage, every one of them who were masters, who were really good at what they did, they'd rehearsed and played forever to get to that point. No matter how spontaneously brilliant they could be, Stephen Stills, who I really admire as a musician, said to me one time that he was always known as a sort of a, a rough and ready guy and, and, and didn't do anything much. He rehearsed like a devil for years, decades. And then when he was with Buffalo Springfield and later with other bands, he was able to play those, those beautiful, beautiful guitar lines that he did mm. fluently and with no problem at all and very little passion, just skill. Passion because he'd spent years learning how to do it. Why would being a spiritual aspirant be any different in other words you have to go through the rehearsal and that's a lot of this book is about that it's about you've got to you actually got to do the damn practice some people don't some people wake up as, as tolkus some people are mahasiddhas the the tolkus his holiness the dalai lama obviously is the best example he was five years old six years old gone into the monastery train yes Yes. Forever. I think he still, he still, well, he, he has the kind of openness where he still is, is learning, you know, it's, uh, but he's another kind of being. But uh, just back to the, uh, uh, the point about cynicism, because, and that's something that's, I mean, my own, I'm so glad this book came out because <laughs> the interpretation of cynicism, my own was so skewed and so pretty much judgmental uh, around, like Larry David, Curb mm -hmm. Your Enthusiasm, the le mm -hmm. level of cynicism, right, in this mm -hmm. guy, mm -hmm. and it's funnier than hell, and, uh, but then I can see myself just in daily life going, going around, and I like to play around with becoming Larry for a moment, you know, in terms of... <laughs> all of the phenomena that's coming at me or that I'm interacting with. And then, and then I start to look at that and go, yeah. Uh, like, for instance, and in what I'm talking, Ramdas, who I tried to turn on to Larry, I've said this before, he absolutely hated it because <laughs> he was so mean. He mm -hmm. was so living in, in a, a separate reality of me me land so i mean which is the premise of of the whole thing um but you and you find yourself doing the same things maybe not as dramatically or as comically and then you start thinking i wonder if that's kind of an impediment to becoming whole to not be getting caught in all of the impediments that prevent that you know the, the reaction stuff and the anger and so on and so forth and and then i started looking uh at when when the book i started reading the book and he says things like um you need to understand the a basic spirituality it's absolutely necessary to go along with that cynical attitude of questioning everything not necessarily and this is the key for me was it's not intellectual intellectual it's not logical or metaphysical even but experientially taking that approach he says is extremely important experientially but it's not from the judging cynical mind thing this can't be real because it's this or 
it, no. you're completely cutting out any intuitive understanding of something. Um, and did you read the thing on a uh, poetry and, and song that particular? I, did, I, did, I thought yeah. that was a fascinating chapter. I, I mean, it's it's actually at the end. How we, this is so great because this gives an understanding when he says this is not about intellectual anything. He said, when you read poetry, you shouldn't try to understand the words. Not even with the songs of uh, Vajrayana disciples, great Buddhist uh, teachers. Don't try to scrutinize and finger through word by word, idea by idea. The traditional way is to read the songs very quickly at first and then sit on it, not quite literally, but be with it and feel how its frame of reference affects your state of being. Just be on it, live on it, sit on it. And that is when he's talking about cynical attitude has nothing to do with intellectual, judging one thing over another. It's experiential. And then, of course, he gets into it big time in this book, saying that, yeah, you can do skydiving and it gives you a moment of transcendence, a gap, as he calls it. You can do surfing and, you know, that's all true, nature. But uh, really, it's about very disciplined, uh, committed relationship with meditation. And he, he goes into it then, right? I mean... Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he, he, you know, it reminds one of, of, of Ramdas talking to us all about his MG, his plane, his golf collection of clubs, all of that. Mm. And, and the various points in his evolution, particularly the stroke, those things went down the tubes and he eventually realized, my God, what a gift. You know, because those... Uh, those things which, you know, you said, Rock, there's nothing wrong with, you know, going on hikes and doing all that. He does say in the book, however, that don't kid yourself, that just standing in a, in a beautiful place and enjoying the, the clouds and the, and the birds and the flowers is necessarily going to be part of the essential discipline. Because that is still in the realm of sensory appreciation. Nice, better than many things. But he makes the point that, again, that this is a steady thing, Buddhism. There are no instant nirvanas, and there's no easy way in. You may have flashes. He talks about, okay, you're cynical because you're looking at stuff and going, I don't know whether I believe that or not. I don't even know whether I don't believe it. I don't even know now whether I do or do believe. You don't know shit. He says, we know nothing. He says, we know nothing. We're stupid. And that's his cynicism is that we have to learn something. And in the ignorance is the energy to learn something. Because unless you know you're ignorant about something, you're not going to try and learn something. Particularly on the question, as he puts it, of hidden neuroses. That, you know, the things that drive us are frequently things we can get rid of if we only had a technique to do it. Some people go to therapists, some people take psychedelics, there are all kinds of ways of doing it. He's saying, damn it, if we just practice, if we just practice what the Buddha told us was easy to do, and he makes the point of saying, oh, so Buddha was a guy like you and me. He just was a guy on the planet, but he happened to be endowed with this cosmic vision. And therefore, you know, all these years later, we're 2,500 years later, we're looking at it and going, well, that's new. I didn't think of that before. Happens to me all the time with Buddhism. He's like, oh, I've never thought of that before. Well, he thought about it 2,500 years ago. <laughs> and millions of people from all kinds of different backgrounds have gone, wow, I, that's helped me understand my innards, my, my emotional innards. Because the book is really about that. It's really about... You know, admit that you're confused. Admit that you're bewildered. He said the very first, the very first presentiment that comes to a true seeker is bewilderment. 
And in certain realms, you might think that that's wrong. No, the first thing is enlightenment. No, it's not. It's bewilderment. It's like, what the fuck is going on here? Mm. I'm living on this planet. It looks nice, but they're polluting it. Nobody cares. It feels nice, but people are not eating in, in countries that are, that are just poverty-stricken and stricken by wars and, and horrible stuff. You think, wow, what is this? Being human, that ain't that great. And then you realize the question of karma, and he goes into the karma. He goes into the fact that samsaric karma, karma will cause all these wars, because ultimately... Individual hatred will grow to a Donald Trump, and then he'll be in charge of a country, and then he'll poison the whole damn country. So this is, on every level, this book is is, is the Vajra dagger. Cutting through, cutting yeah, through. Yeah, you know, he, he says yeah. that. He says, you know, you got to cut through mm. this, this thing. You even, first of all, you know you have to cut, like, for instance, with me. Not that long ago, well, quite a long time, I had to stop eating sugar. And it drove me absolutely nuts. Can you imagine that? It's not a big thing, really. You know? Oh, yes. Uh, no, you know, but it drove me nuts. And then I had to give up salt. So I had neither sugar nor salt. And it made me into a baby. I was like a little baby crying, you know, because I just couldn't handle it. It was a what? I can't have a pizza and I can't have a cinnamon bun? What is the point of living? But, you know. I realized that if I didn't do those things, I'd be really quite dead by now, which might please some people, but it doesn't please me at this point. So he's saying delve, like you mm. were saying before, Raleigh, yeah. he's saying delve. Yeah. And, you know, I went to see um, the Shotzi monks chant um, some years ago in New York. And then the leader of the group said, we're going to finish not with a chant, but with an argument, with a debate. And then two of the monks did a typical, typical monastery debate. In, in the Tibetan language. We didn't understand a word of it, but we saw how virulent it was and how passionate it was and how they literally locked swords with each other and said, no, you're wrong. That's wrong. That's rubbish. I know it's rubbish. I've learned that it's rubbish in my own direct experience. So they have these debates that are incredible. And that's kind of where Trump is coming from. It's like debate with yourself, you know, find out what's really, you know, why are you so upset about that? Can you, can you imagine? So he says meditate. He yeah. never says go and do therapy. Not because he's against it, but because he knows that meditation will cover that. It well, will you know, that's really... evolved, though. That has evolved since his time, actually, where Buddhist people really steeped in Buddhist practice uh, have become therapists and so on and uh, are doing marvelous things that are helping people address, as you said, the neurotic stuff that can easily, easily yes. get spiritually bypassed, which is his thing, spiritual materialism, you know, is, uh, is of course, enormously helpful. He, he by the way, and, and here, this next thing that I wanted to bring up was actually addressing, again, the polarity and the tribalism and understanding. Uh, and by the way, as far as meditation, what I understand he's saying, it's the depth of going behind all of that to mm. look for who am I, what am I, and what is this, this understand our relationship. Uh, having some sartori experience through nature or a psychedelic or anything, a film, anything is valid it's completely valid it's the the but the day-to-day -day grind of of uh and you have to have a lot of um intention 
to move through the kind of practice on a day-to-day basis and commitment it takes to really go much deeper. And I think that's what he's saying. But um, So he's talking about yeah, he is. us as an entity. He's saying we, we have one entity, you know, that I that distinguishes absolutely mm. everything or one existence. So automatically bring, that brings in the question of the other has to individually does not really exist as such he says it is purely relative so we call it a i love this quote heap unquote (laughs) that heap it's a lot of experiences a lot of failures achievements disappointments hopes fears and millions and trillions of little fragments of all kinds that were put together into what we call, quote-unquote, me, and quote-unquote, life. According to the Buddha, this is the key to everything, and it does, you know, forget Buddhism, it doesn't matter. This is truth, as far as I'm concerned. According to the Buddha, quote-unquote, me, is a false remark. You can't call yourself me, myself, I, self, or soul, because there's no way you can point out which part of uh, which part is quote unquote me, and which part is quote unquote not me. What is me and what is not me is uncertain and unfounded, and not because we are confused and stupid. <laughs> Even the most intelligent and enlightened people couldn't figure this out, for the very fact that there's nothing to figure out, and that gets into beyond rationality and reaching that is is uh, practice is a lot a lot of practice uh, and 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 here's the whole spiritual materialism part we would like to build a secure home out of our bewilderment right just think of what we do day to day to support the story we tell ourselves the identities that we have the roles that we have is um is really to build a whole mechanism and a fortress that we can feel safe in. Everybody, everyone does that. And then, of course, his concept of spiritualism is about finding out that that is a false facade. And the way to find that out is to first obviously engage with these concepts and then do the experiential part of going inside oneself. We grope all over the place, not having such a thing as ourselves. Though there is a sense of flow, we make that flow itself into an entity, a false entity. That constant groping creates you and other. A sense of duality, a sense of separateness develops, which is a false notion but that falsity seems to be much more secure than truth oh god which has no substance and which we find somewhat overpowering we don't want to face reality it's too brilliant too dazzling too hot too cold we would like to compromise and make ourselves comfortable that to me is the essence of it all i mean i I see it in myself wanting first of all to create this out of of bewilderment and out of not knowing what 
is the truth and what is real and not being able to connect with that behind it all, whatever you want to call it, entity that is interconnected with everything. So it's creating facades, it's creating a castle that defends, it's creating, um, as, he, as he said, something that makes us feel comfy. You want to feel comfy, sit back, got the throw on, TVs on, something, internet, social media, whatever it may be, and so that we don't have to confront this. Amazing, huh? Absolutely amazing. Yeah, it's, it's ultimate stuff because, you know, it's funny. I, I, I found myself reading a book simultaneously with this one. I don't know how it got on my Kindle, to be honest with you. It was by a guy called Jeffrey Olson, who's hmm. just, a, just a guy, an advertising executive in, in Oklahoma, a Mormon. Not in Oklahoma, I'm sorry, in Utah. And um, he, he tells the story of such a happy life that he had uh, with two beautiful boys sons uh, an extraordinarily sympathetic partner his wife brilliant woman and he was just as happy as a human being could be and he 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 trusted god in that way that uh, that some shall we say real christians do Mm. and he was just amazed by the wonder and love of it all and how everything was taken care of and then one day he was driving on route 80 in, in 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 utah and uh took his mind off off the road for a moment and no. his two children were there and his wife and just like with our president biden um the crash was horrible and he lost his wife and his younger his younger child mm-hmm. and was uh it rolled over six times and he was upside down and, and it ruined him he lost a leg an arm everything it was just a nightmare of an experience in a hospital for three months while he only had one little boy left of his life mm. and i'm reading this book at the same on my kindle at the same time as i'm reading cynicism and magic mm. and realizing that this guy jeffrey olson in those moments when tragedy happened because you can't deny the word tragedy if you lose your children we all know those of us that have children what we go through when they're sick and all that it was a tragedy at least in in in, in the normal sense of life and yet, at those moments when he was at his most desperate, things came to him in the hospital. He couldn't speak. He was, on a, an in, he was being intubated. He couldn't eat. He couldn't do anything. His body was completely shattered. And yet, that was the time when he began to see truths beyond comfort. That's what I'm trying to get at. Mm. I just finished the book this morning, actually. Um, it's, just, you know, it's a very simple book. It's not about any dogma. He doesn't talk at all about mm. Christianity. What he talks about is the fact that he had the most comfortable life imaginable and felt that it was permanent, at least until death to his part. But then it all shattered into horrible shards of suffering. And then he lived a life of complete and absolute horror for months and years. And yet he recovered. And it's that that the, the Rinpoche is talking about here. That behind it all, behind the confusion, behind the samsaric desire for comfort, Pema Chodron, one of his acolytes, talks about it all the time, the comfort zone. Beyond that, there is there is what we have to call Wakantanka or some name, Ram or God or Jesus or whatever. It doesn't usually work because it's it's sort of, in the West at any rate, it is definitely... Um, it's 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 a it's a humanized version of God, you know. It's it's a preacher. It's a guy. It's a father who helps you. It's a this or that. 
Trump can see that and see the need for it, but he says at some point in your life, you're going to have to relate to dying and suffering. You're going to have to. You don't have any choice. That's it. Good, bad, or indifferent. You have to do it. And it won't help if you've created for yourself a false Elysium, is what I would call it. Mm-hmm. You know, a pure land just for me, that I feel comfortable. I'm in the monastery. He even says, those that go to the monastery, after a short time, they go, wow, I'm home. I'm home. Well, is it home two seconds, two microseconds after you're dead? Or is it not home? Mm-hmm. And and this is, you know, the Alan Wattsian, the Ramdasian, incredible cutting through of bullshit way of describing spirituality to us in the West. Ramdas, the absolute master of it. And it's not surprising to me that Ramdas and, and Trungpa were mm-hmm. sort of doing the same thing at the same time, certainly in Europa and elsewhere, because they both said constantly, it's there for the asking, but it's not there for the imagining. It's not there because you just want it. You have to want it, but you must work for it. And what does that mean? I'm, I don't want to sound like some Puritan, but I've learned in my life, and I'm pretty old, that before I was meditating, I was all over the damn place. And then after I was meditating, I was all over the damn place in another place. <laughs> and, and, and that's, you know, I'd, I'd like to read a, a thing. Let's see. Because he says... And you've talked about this, Raghu, in many podcasts, and I, I, I love the expression, the gap, mm. you know, the gap mm. that comes. Yeah. You know? And his quote about the gap is this. The gap is extremely powerful and important. The gap also cuts the notion of rebirth. So you don't come back by the power of karmic force. Physical rebirth, the process of dying And being reborn again is the same process as your everyday life situation. Your first breath is dead and your second breath is being born. You live your life that way. There is constant birth and death taking place. After you die, there is a sense of fear because all of you've lost everything. Your body, your relatives, all your possessions. And then he says, the clumsiness of having a body is followed by a sense of relief. And finally, by a feeling of being completely lost and looking for a new body and a new situation. In this bardo, this bardo we're living in now, the human life bardo, your future parents can be seen. Can be seen. And he's talking about that bardo. In this bardo, we can prepare for how to deal with that bardo. And, you know, that becomes real when you're 77 years old, I'll tell you. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't want to come ageist, but I, I have reverse ages. <laughs> I didn't know shit until I was, I don't know last week (laughs) and then i didn't earn them and then i learned it and forgot it okay last week yeah oh god oh i wanted to just quote him too around the spiritual materialism spiritual materialism or um you know the way that we talked about uh, spiritual bypass is very very similar it's a spiritual bypass being more recent term but the way that we fool ourselves, you know, is uh, is writ large in all of our lives, and I think one one you would probably say, well, one thing that's happened, getting older and being a little bit wiser, is absolutely not believing in any of the shit that goes through my head. Yes, and not reacting that way, and not copying into, uh, you know, bringing more stuff, so to speak, into the fortress. What, what did you call your fortress? It had a foreign name to it. What was that? I called it another name. I don't know. Elysium. 
Elysium. Elysium. Yeah, Elysium. Elysium. I, I, I pronounced it wrong. You know, the Greek paradise, pure land. Elysium. You Can know, you spell it? Because I think E L Y E L Y S I U M. Elysium. Elysium. Shakespeare speaks about yeah. it quite frequently. Uh, Midsummer Night's Dream is an ironic version of Elysium, and and it's it's idyllic. It's perfect. It's what the you know in, in the in the Hindu tradition, I believe, is called demigodness, uh-huh, you know, which yeah. is fabulous right. and you enjoy it. It's lovely. And it's all good, yeah. all good food and great looking people and everything. But it's it's yeah. samsara. It's another form of samsara. It, it's, yeah, I mean, it's bloody forms. difficult. This stuff. Yeah. It's very. Yeah. Difficult. I wouldn't mind a little little couple of million years in a demigod state. You know? <laughs> Especially I'll after take it. This. I'll take yeah, it. Really. We'll take I'll take that. it. All right, so he said, beware of spiritual materialism, because when we create more trips and tricks in our lives, we are creating all kinds of garbage. Some of the tricks are fantastic, outrageous, and one might wonder who even dreamt up such things. (laughs) One feels dwarfed by such wisdom. However, it's just more stuff. It's garbage. It's something that's been imposed upon us, mm-hmm. which has nothing to do with unlearning, undoing, or simplifying. It's all piling up boxes on boxes. We buy this stuff and we save the cardboard boxes until finally our garage is completely filled with boxes, boxes and boxes with labels on them. And that is the, so this book is the big debunker of the way in which we collect. So in order to protect ourselves even further, in order to build a world which we can believe in as a separate entity, this book is the antidote antidote to that kind of perspective, which Every one of us carries along in one way or the other. I don't care who you are, unless you have gone beyond polarity inside yourself. And then, yeah, that's it. You know. Yeah, I, you know, what's funny about this book is that it's sort of like seven-eighths of it are about the cutting sword of cynicism, the necessary cynicism mm-hmm. in order to grow. And the other eighth is about magic. And I, I, I know that the way the editors did this and probably the way he did it in the lecture was quite deliberate, mm-hmm. but he ultimately is saying the same thing about magic that is, is, is embedded in the, in the, or embodied in the phrase miracle of love, that one of the greatest teachings I ever had was from Ramdas Maharaji via Ramdas. Uh, about miracles are great and everything, but the biggest miracle of all is how we are interdependent and there is such a thing as love throughout the universe. And that magic is what he's talking about. He's talking about you finally become a human being, not you finally become a bodhisattva necessarily, but in the last chapter he says, this whole business is not to edify and to sit on the throne of perfect spiritual understanding and progressions. It is to become that human being that you actually are. And that is magic. That transformation is really magic. And he, and Not he the miracles it. and all that other stuff. That's yeah. right. That, exactly. And it's the same thing as, it's the same thing as around us and, and Jack and all the great people that are in, that I might do a little ad here in, in, in um, Love, Serve, Remember Foundation is that they all, they're all very different and, and there are nuances, incredible nuances between them, but they all, kind of concur with that you know and yet you know i'll do a quote here um 
you know, all of this goes away and, and all your gods go away and all your, your, your shibboleths go away too. And it all goes away. And then, wow, you're bewildered again. And he says, within the state of vagueness and uncertainty, there is very strong energy. Something very powerful is taking place. Something is happening. There's a shock, an electricity of being pulled back into the present constantly. Here, here, here. It's happening. It's really taking place. It's not as vague as we expected, but actually it's happening. And this is the way this man spoke. I mean, he just spoke with this kind, these kind of rhythms and uh, like a, a musician almost that he would convince. And Ramdas did this even more in, in a way mm. that, you know, that little thing that I just read, mm. it just made me so happy in a way. Cause it's like, okay, if, what is, what, what is the essence of this thing he's saying? Well, it's certainly the, the basic goodness of organic life. No matter what, even if it's the the, the viper eating the, the the frog, whatever it is, whatever it is that is the essence of of our environment, both on this level and on any other level that we aspire to, is that fact that something is happening, and it's a shock to us because we're we've tried to obliterate our deepest need, which is to find out who we are and why we're here. Instead of which, America is the pinnacle of comfort. He says somewhere in this book, Raghu. He was talking about a cool cigarettes ad in the 70s. And he said he saw this ad on TV saying, you know, if you have the cool cigarette, you're going to be cool. Not only a cool person, but they're not hot and they'll be good for you. Doctors smoke them. And he calls it, Trungpa calls it the lowest bottom of sansara. The lowest bottom of sansara. Meaning it doesn't get worse than this in terms of our deception, our self-deception. Mm. We lie about a product, then we want the product, then we find the product, well, accidentally kills you. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I mean, uh, I yeah, love this book. A, I'm, yeah, so, I'm so glad you, you, you let us do this, Raga, because uh, I, it's, 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 I think people should buy it. First of all, you should support Shambhala, great, great publishers. And yeah, I just love really them. They really are. And, uh, and, and, you know, and this book... We have to... Even, sorry. No, no. Yeah. Go ahead. You were going to say. Well, just, uh, you, you know, reading this book is not the easiest thing in the world because it doesn't give you, it doesn't give you cakes and ale, as Shakespeare said. It doesn't give you cakes and ale. It gives you, you know, bitter, bitter, sweet things, mm -hmm. which are that you've got to let go of some of these comfort zones. It's very, very hard. I love comfort. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't like discomfort. Who does? But when you read Minjur's book, Minjur Rinpoche's book, when he deliberately made himself Into incredibly uncomfortable. uncomfortable. <laughs> it's like know. dying uncomfortable. <laughs> you know? And he did it. And he's yeah. a highly, I mean, anybody who's ever seen him or read anything by him yeah. you know, knows that this guy is yeah. the real shit, yeah, you know? Yeah. And he talks about that particular consciousness that comes from dropping all concept of individual ego and necessary comfort. And I know if it were me listening to this, I might say, well, I like it when my, you know, when my friend says, I like that thing you wrote, or I like your house, it's comfortable. We're all like this. What he's trying to say is that we're all like this. And that in order to advance into a more cosmic sort of consciousness, one cannot do it by just impulse alone. Yeah, right. And and he, he just um, completely turns one's head around perspective-wise. And you, it makes you think, and it makes you understand. It doesn't make you. 
it allows one to understand a little bit more of what the reasoning is to go and actually spend some time going inside, no matter how much it is. And even in the beginning, few minutes of this is, is as important as in the end, hopefully, uh, one's ability to actually go on a retreat and do many hours of practice. And I, uh, I'm really happy with this too, Dave. So this, uh, and, and as part of our Ask the Experts, <laughs> David Silver and Raghu Marcus, um, yeah, just, I'm sure we can answer any of your questions that come in on this material or even, you know, get the book and then, you know, we'll, we'll do, we should, you know, we should do, this would be really fun. We should do a live podcast interacting with people who have read the book and, and, and having a discussion online with people. Well, you Wouldn't know, the book great? does have questions and answers within it, of course. Oh, yeah, it students, has that too, yes. With Trump, which is always yeah. great. You know, I think it's a good thing to ask the experts because then in the, in terms of Trump's philosophy, you will then know how deeply desperate and injured you are. <laughs> because, you know, if you are indeed asking Roger Mark and David Silver about anything, uh, you're likely to run into deep deception. No, yeah, I, it's not yeah, true. No. It's not. No, no, as a matter no, of fact, and, and uh, we, rep we represent everyone. We yeah, are we all we all of us represent each one of us, and that's the reality, and that's why we're doing this. Ask, ask the experts. But I mean, uh, I want to do another ad for you. I want to do an ad, no. which is that uh, you know, given that this foundation, uh, you know, Ramdas's centrality to it, uh, alive or past and the ways in which other people within it, like Christian Das and Jack Kornfeld and Sharon and Trudy and all these great people, the way they talk is within, uh, is within these parameters of non-deception, either within or, or, with, mm. or not with mm. spiritual pro mm. And that Raghu is the king of this in the sense that, I don't mean in terms of power, but I've known him a long time, and it's good to have someone running something so um, important and, and, and useful who isn't, uh, you know, who has not based his spiritual practice upon a kind of um, knowing deception. a thing, knowing knowing something. It's more <laughs> like um, Trump says in this book, and Raga's good at this, and a lot of those people are that I mentioned. It's undoing; it's not doing. Yeah, right. well, that's not that's that's just a truism for sure. Thank you. That's lovely, lovely I comments, mean yeah. and I'll send you the money later. Thank you. I need it. Yes, yes. Thanks for being here, though. God, I love it when you're able to have time to do this. It's uh, me. You, you are the busy one. You are the busy. Now, this is this is this uh, is more important to me than anything. Just to be <laughs> able to have an outlet like this, you know. No, it's great. And it's, it's really great. great. So, thank you, David, for being here, everybody. This is mind rolling on Be Here Now Network. Go to beherenownetwork.com. And I did mention Madison Margolin will be doing a psychedelic podcast. And uh, please just go to BeHereNowNetwork.com, get on the mailing list. You'll get an idea of when these podcasts are coming out and the featured ones. And Ramdas.org, of course, for all of the offerings there. We just did a big Be Here Now celebration at Wisdom. And uh, we're going to be live streaming. We're going to Maui and actually going to do the first retreat without Ramdas, which is kind of uh, exciting and a little bit sort of scary at the same time. I don't know why. It's just more human stuff. And by the way, we are all human, so let's remember that. Jack Cornfield's wonderful thing. It's okay. We're human. It's okay. You know? Yeah. 
and that seems to be okay. Yeah, that seems to be okay, and so we're all doing the best we can to support each other. See you next week on Mind Rolling, David. We'll see you soon. Thanks. Great chat. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you.